The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. What in your life is worth more than your life? Let me ask it differently. What in your life are you willing to give your life to and even for? In 1888, a man named Alfred, a well-known Swedish inventor, scientist, and businessman sat down like he normally would uh, over a cup of coffee and pulled out that morning's uh, newspaper. And as he pulled it out, he noticed that it had his face large and in print on the front page of the newspaper. And you know, he's a famous guy, so that would not necessarily be something entirely shocking, except that when he began to read, What was surprising is that it was his obituary. And I would imagine if you saw your obituary in the paper, you might be a little shocked as well. And so he continued to read. And if that wasn't bad enough, what he read was horrifying. As the inventor of dynamite, the commentary in his obituary uh, were comments like this. The merchant of death has died, Dr. Alfred who found more ways to kill people faster than ever before, has finally died. They had uh, made a mistake. It was kind of one of those first early accounts of fake news. Um, They had mistakenly uh, uh, got him and his brother confused. His brother Ludwig had died the day before in the East Indies. And so they mistakenly switched uh, Ludwig for Alfred, and so they printed his obituary instead of uh, his brother's. And so uh, Alfred is horrified. Here's a guy who spent his whole life studying and learning and working. I mean, the, the reports of this guy, many sleepless nights, working day and night, laboring to earn and acquire and achieve and invent. And yet all of that, at the, here he is late in life and toward the end of his life after amassing $1.5 billion. Remember, we're talking about 1888. That's a lot of money today. Imagine how much it, it, it would be, you know, 135 years ago or 140 years ago, right? That's a lot of money. And, and even though he had acquired all of this, the last memories of his life, the last things people are going to talk about is here is a guy who figured out lots of ways to kill people faster. This is going to be his legacy. This is how he's remembered. So all of his sacrifice, all of his hard work, all of his sleepless nights, all of his labors, all of his efforts— And the way he's going to be remembered is the merchant of death has finally died. And and what would your story tell? Someone read your obituary and and you've given your whole life to achieve or to acquire or to earn or build accounts. What will it have mattered? The reality is if we succeed at the wrong things, we have failed. And so if you were to spend your life sleepless nights, working hard, laboring endlessly and tirelessly to accomplish the very dreams and things you think are worth living for, at the end of your life, will you have said that was worth not only living for, but that was worth dying for? And so I want to bring you back 
to an ancient story, maybe so we can draw some principles on how to get this right. Meaning so we don't spend our whole life trying to climb a ladder only to find out that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. So how do we get this right? And so I'm going to bring you to an ancient text. It's in the Bible. It's in a book of history in the Bible. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, uh, the context is this. Uh, it's a story of this guy, David. David, as you know, becomes this great and renowned king of Israel. But he goes from being a shepherd or a farmer boy to being elevated, becoming the greatest king in all of Israel. Uh, and along the way, he fights these epic battles. He, he surrounds himself with these men, these warriors who he considers his closest and dearest friends. And at the end of his life, they're looking back and he's recounting stories and he's, he's giving challenges to people. This is what I'm going to remember about my life. And so he first points to God, and then he starts recounting these stories. And as he's going through the stories, we come to this one, and it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 13. During the harvest time, three of the 30 chief men came down to David at the cave of Adullam while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. So he, here's the context. David has um, just recently, in this story, found out that he has been made king over Israel. So the former king had died in battle. David was actually out in hiding because that king hated him and wanted him to die and had spent many years trying to hunt David. David gets word that King Saul has died in battle and now word has been sent to David. David, you're not only going to be king of the nation of the people of Judah, but of the whole nation of Israel. And so now David's got soldiers with him and the Philistines are encamped against him. So he's hiding up in the mountains. And, and so he's got this, you know, Philistine army, a whole garrison of soldiers coming against him. And so there are stories that continue. And at that time, David was in his stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. And so let's just pause right there. What's going on? So here's David. He's just kind of newly become the king. Uh, maybe we could relate to this in our own nation, uh, kind of newly taken on the responsibility where he feels like he's carrying the weight of a nation. And he's in hiding uh, with some soldiers while another army is trying to take his life. And David, you can kind of just almost hear him sigh. He's only 12 miles from where he grew up. And he goes, oh, wishing for simpler times. Wishing for a time in life when it was a little easier, a little less stressful, when you didn't feel like your neck was on the line. And he, and he kind of goes, man, I, you know, I really wish. And he's remembering that well that he used to drink out of as a boy. When he was out with the sheep farming, he goes, man, I remember dipping in that well and just the cool, refreshing water. And he goes, man, what, would I, what I would give to have a drink from that well again. And, and, and here it is. Here's the story. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this. And, and the story goes, what, what's going on here? So David says, man, what would I give to have 
uh, a drink of that water from my, my boyhood well. And, you know, he's just kind of like dreaming and wishing. You know, he's like, and, and then inst- these three guys goes, these three guys, your wish is our command. You're our king, whatever you want. And before he could say, whoa, I was just like dreaming. They're, they're out of the cave. They're headed right to the, right to the well. Now, now, this is no like small task. David's thinking, man, what would I give? And they're like, we'll give our lives. They have to break through enemy lines. It's 12 miles from the cave of Adullam to the well in Bethlehem. They march, they, they march and fight 12 miles to get David a drink of water from his boyhood well. And, and you might think, like, why? Well, maybe some thoughts. Loyalty, a sense of, hey, we've served with this guy. We, we've fought in battles together. We'll give anything for him. He wants a drink of water. Let's go get him a drink of water. Maybe a sense of camaraderie. Hey, we've, we've shed blood together. Let's, let's do this for the, ki- the new king. But what's interesting is they're willing to put everything on the line simply to give David a fresh drink of, his, of water from his favorite spot. And so let's conclude this story because David says, far be it from me to actually drink the water that they fought to bring me. And you might, that might make you like scratch your head up a little bit like, what's going on here? Here it is, uh, verse 17. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives and David would not drink it? This might make you wonder. Here's David's, if we could just kind of get under the surface here and say, what's going on? Here's what David does. He looks at the situation. He sees the sacrifice of these three guys willing to put their life on the line just to get him a drink of water. And he goes, this sacrifice is worth so much that I want it to be long remembered. I want thousands of years from now for people to talk about this. Here we are talking about a moment because David didn't just drink the water. He said, this, this sacrifice is worth remembering. And so I want it to be poured out to God. And and his point was, I could quickly enjoy it and it would give me a moment of pleasure or I could offer it to God in worship and it will be remembered forever. And so I want people a long time from now to talk about this moment. And so why should we talk about this moment? Why was it worth David not drinking it so that we would remember it? It It's for this reason, because there's a lesson we can learn from the story of three guys marching 12 miles through enemy lines to get David a drink of water. And it's this, our challenge is to learn from both the sacrifice of these three men and the sacrifice of David so that we can apply this principle to our life. And it's this, hold nothing back from God. What are you holding back? What are you holding on to? What are you you keeping as your own because you believe it adds value to you? Here's what I know. Here's what you and I know. No achievements will ever overcome our failures. No filled bank accounts will ever make us worth more. No matter what we accomplish or acquire, it will never add to our life. We are not going to become more if we have more. See, the challenge is we're like Dr. Alfred. We spend our whole life working and earning and and slaving and trying to accomplish and acquire and achieve and get awards. 
only to at the very end of our life have no idea whether what we did was worth doing. Will it even matter? And if you could read your own obituary, if people weren't lying and they weren't just trying to say really nice things to make themselves feel better about you, what would actually be said of the life you and I have lived? Here is the problem, like Dr. Alfred, you and I spend our whole lives not only not truly acquiring anything that's worth acquiring, we spend our lives wasting it. Not, not giving and serving like David and his men did, but living a life more focused on ourselves than others. And, and the reason for that is sin. See, sin is what takes our best efforts, like Dr. Alfred's, where you can work all night, you can stay up and labor, you can give and, and serve and think you're doing good, and that be sabotaged into something where what's remembered is something bad. Why? Sin. Sin corrupts our best motives. Sin sabotages our greatest desires so that it turns everything upside down. Sin is the driving force of every one of our lives. It's like our core instinct. And when you and I are driven by sin, the very things we think are good turn out to be bad. We end up hurting the very people we want to love. We end up destroying our own lives and wrecking the lives of people around us. But fortunately for us, the story doesn't end there. But we have to be challenged. You and I, we, we can try to say, I want to do something great with my life. Our problem is, you and I, we don't do great things. Because our best efforts are like that of Dr. Alfred. You can acquire and accumulate and achieve and add awards to your life, and yet at the end, it all be not only wasted, but it actually be turned on its head so the very best intentions you had turn out to be hurtful and painful memories for others. And, and so what do we do? The, the reason is because sin doesn't just wreck our lives, wreck others' lives. Sin just cuts us off from relationship with God so that we go our, through, through our lives spiritually broken, spiritually ruined. And the result of that is that we are on our way to a forever far away from God in eternal suffering. But God, but God, and here's where this, this story really can take on a great word picture for you. I want you to kind of follow me, right? I read you this story, and we, we saw it about these three guys who go behind enemy lines. They fight their way to get water for David, and he, here's how we're going to parallel that. Now, imagine Jesus. Jesus sees the enemy that we're facing. He goes behind enemy lines, he fights for us. He puts his life on the line. He dies in our place, takes the eternal death sentence that every one of us deserve for our sin, and he takes it on himself. He fights our enemy behind enemy lines on our behalf. That's why God became one of us, so that he could become in us a living water. So that when we are parched spiritually and we're thirsty in every aspect of our life, we can draw from the well of the living water of Jesus Christ who becomes in us the renewal of life. Because when you believe in Jesus by faith, 
He not only forgives you of sin, but he gives you new life because his spirit becomes alive in our spirit. And when that happens, we have the living water of God in us, refreshing us, renewing us, so that if you would imagine David drinking that water, how refreshed he would be. But as God gives us that new life, he then calls us to pour our life out. Okay, you, you follow the, the parallel so far? He causes us to pour our life out as a sacrifice in response to him. So follow me here. Jesus is not an example of how to live. Jesus isn't the metaphor. Jesus is Lord. He is our leader. He is our savior. He is our king. Because he is our king, we follow him. And when you follow Jesus, you begin to live a new and different life so that you hold nothing back from God. Now this, I get it. This isn't like um, easy spiritual living. This isn't, you know, Christianity for the lighthearted. This is actually the heavy cost of discipleship. This is the expensive part of actually living a life following Jesus. He gives his life for you. He gives everything to you. But then when he comes to you, he went behind enemy lines. He becomes our living water. Then he says, when I give you new life, I'm asking you to pour your life out for me in worship. So how do you take from this ancient story and then apply it to our lives? Well, here's what I want you to take hold of. We're going to read verse um, 16 again. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. And, And the first thing you notice is this. These guys were willing to give everything, right? They had families, They had children. In fact, their children played together. They lived together. And these guys, I mean, David didn't even really mean like go get, he didn't send them to get him water. He just said, you know, I really wish I had was a drink from that well. And they go, your wish is our command. Bam. Your desire becomes our desperation. And what's the principle? Holding nothing back means we, get, we don't hold back our life from God. Did you catch that? I would encourage you to take notes today. As you're taking notes, this is that moment where you want to pause and you want to write that down. You want to type this into your smartphone or tablet so that you don't forget it. What does it mean to sacrifice in response to what God has given us? As we look at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, again, we're not trying to be Jesus. We're trying to be like Jesus. And so we learn from this example, what do these guys do? They, they jump at the smallest wish of their commander. I wish I had a drink of that water. Bam, your wish is our command. And they go marching, they go running 12 miles to get him a, a drink from a well behind enemy lines. And our challenge today is this. The, the, what we can look at in, in, in this example is... Am I willing to give my life or am I holding my life back from God? Because sacrifice means that I am not holding my life back from God. The example of Jesus, and I said that, you know, Jesus isn't just our example. He's not a metaphor, but the way of Jesus. Do you want to hear how Jesus lived his life? Well, let's, let's jump ahead. Here, here's a guy named Matthew. Matthew wrote 
out the account of the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This guy, Matthew, he actually eventually became a missionary to Ethiopia and was stabbed to death for telling people about Jesus. Before his death, of course, he wrote this account of the life of Jesus. And in it, he records one of those moments Jesus is teaching. And it's here, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The cross in Roman times was this picture of death. You've got to be willing to take up the instrument of your own death. You have to be willing to die to yourself, die to your ways, your agenda, your ego, your pride, your interests, in order to follow me as your king, as your Lord. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So Jesus goes like this, look, if, if you're looking out to get and acquire and achieve, you might get that stuff on earth, Dr. Alfred, and yet lose everything. What could you give? You can't give anything for your soul. She's saying, I'm giving my life for you, and I'm giving you new life. When you receive that new life, when you receive that living water, are you then willing to pour it out? Are you willing to die to your ego, your pride, your own desires, those addictive uh, behaviors that push you to do the very things that hurt you? Are you willing to die to that? And then live for God. How? By not holding back your life. If I follow this example, then if I follow the way of Jesus, then I can learn from this challenge that sacrificing my life means I'm willing to give up my time. I'm willing to give up everything about my life, my dreams, my, my talents, right? These guys were willing to die for their king. So they use their, their uh, abilities, they use their fighting skills in order to go behind enemy lines to bring back a sacrifice. And I think similarly what we can draw from this example is what are we willing to give in response to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and how we've received new life? And a, a great quote I think that we can use to illustrate this is from President Woodrow Wilson who said, I would rather fail in a cause that will ultimately triumph than to triumph in a cause that will ultimately fail. And so here is my challenge to you. I want to challenge you to respond to hell's selfishness with heaven's service. Heaven calls us to serve, right? How are you going to give your life to God in something that is worth living for and even die for? Well, it, it means I, I serve God by serving others. It means I have to discover my part within God's greater story and then begin to be that part and do that part. That means I have to find my part within the church. Not just a church, but within the church. What is your unique gift? What is God's unique role that he's put in your life? If you are not being and doing your part, the body of Christ suffers. Meaning God's purpose, God's desire for the world around us is not being accomplished because you and I are selfishly not serving the church and our community. 
imagine you can thwart the desires of God by selfishly holding back. So we've got to muster it up and say, because of what God has given me, because Jesus has forgiven me and he has given me the Holy Spirit, now I'm willing to give my life. And the, and the way I'm going to give my life is by serving God, by serving others, responding to hell's selfishness with heaven's service. That means I've got to be willing to respond to hell's hate with heaven's healing. How do you offer healing? That, that means you got to be willing to offer vulnerability in moments of conflict. Where there's, when there's dispute and anger, you're willing to be vulnerable. You're willing to be the tenderness and the love and the sensitivity of God. Because that's how God begins to heal the pains of the world we live in. It means that we're willing to respond to criticisms by creating. How do you create? It means you have to get involved in the problems of the world around you and become part of the solution that rather than only pointing out the diagnosis, you and I are the response of heaven to the problems that hell is bringing against our nation and our generation. And so let me continue with the challenge. So first I challenge you that you and I have to be willing to not hold back anything from God, even our life. And then let me continue to read verse 17. Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this, he said. So he's got this cup of water. It, is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Sacrifice means not holding back my livelihood. And I want to pause because when I say that, I know when I wrote it, I cringed. And maybe the moment I start talking about money, you cringe because you and I have kind of an instinct. There it is. They're out to get something from me. It's how we respond when we see those, you know, those commercials that you can feel like kind of like tugging at your heart and you just change the channel. Or maybe you hear it on the radio or maybe you read it and you're like, yeah, whatever. You're like, like I've heard this so much that you have to at some point go like, I got, I got to tune it out, right? And so we like shift gears and maybe for a moment you're like, yeah, I know this church was like every other church. They just want my money. I, I'm not asking for your money. I'm asking you to consider the example of these men when you think about the fact that God has called us to hold nothing back, that has to include our livelihood. These men, they sacrificed everything, their life, to bring David a drink of water. David recognized that this gift was not for him, but it was worship to God. And so he poured out this gift to God in worship and refused to drink it. Similarly, when you receive new life through faith in Jesus Christ, God pours into our life everything we have, every breath, every ability, every skill, every opportunity, and the resources we have are from God. And then in response, we say, God, I'm willing to give everything to you. I'm willing to not hold back anything, including my livelihood. Now, I, I get it. There's a challenge that you and I have. Um, if I were to say to you, look, we need $100,000, I'm not. This is just for the sake of illustrative right now. I said, look, we need to, we need to raise $100,000. There's this situation, we're trying to address it, and we're like, we gotta raise this. You, you might, here's what you and I would do. 
I, I've been in those services, right? I've been in those places and like, all right, how, can I give 15 bucks? Can I give 20 bucks? Right? Like we would like think like, how can I give a little bit? And if I said to you like, no, 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 like let's really sacrifice. You'd be like, oh, look, I don't have it. Now put that over here on this side. That's our response normally. Now imagine over here, the person you love most, your child, your spouse, they were dying and they needed a kidney. And it was gonna cost $100,000. They were not gonna get the kidney unless you came up with $100,000 right now. You have 24 hours. You know what you and I would do? We would find a way. And what I've learned is this, our willingness to radically sacrifice is directly connected to our personal sense of desperation. The more personally desperate I am, the more I'm willing to sacrifice anything, including my life and my livelihood. If I needed to raise $100,000 right now in order to save one of my children's life, I would give up. There's not anything I wouldn't give up. When you know that God has called us to be the, his response to the needs of the world around us, on the other side, we tend to lean far more on the scale toward greed than we do toward generosity. But I wanna challenge you, respond to hell's greed with heaven's generosity. We are the response of God to the crisis around us. I, I shared that story with you guys, that story about Dr. Alfred. After he read it, he read his obituary, he was so upset that he immediately got in his carriage, rode straight to his attorney, where he had them rewrite his entire will. Remember, $1.45 billion. So that he would not be remembered as a merchant of death. He had most of his estate put into an account so that an award system would be created. An award system that would give cash prizes to people who were the, the greatest, who offered the greatest achievements and accomplishments in, in areas of science and literature and technology, who had the greatest advancements for mankind in areas of medicine, in, in the areas of global peace. And on that day, Dr. Alfred Nobel set up the Nobel Prize so that every December 10th, the day of his death, in Stockholm, Sweden, the place of his birth, an award would be given out to all the people in those different fields every year in perpetuity. Because he made a decision. He said, that's not how I'm gonna be remembered. I'm, gonna, I'm willing to give everything I have to just change my reputation and make a difference in the world around me. That's pretty incredible. So what is our response? Our response is, am I willing to open up my own financial well-being? I'm not telling you this just to appeal to your heartstrings. I'm saying this is right and good. If you understand that everything you have is from God, then you're not, you're not gonna hold anything back from God. And so the principle is this, give uh, sacrificial generosity. That's the principle. The, the pattern is that we see throughout scriptures this idea of tithing, which is just an archaic word that means giving 10% of my income to God. That's not the law. That's just a pattern we, we borrow that we see throughout scripture. So don't, don't get all caught up in the 10% like that's the rule. It's just a way. 
and I want to respond to God that way. But, but don't make it about 10%. Say, God, how can I give above and beyond? How can I live on less to give more? Remember, you're giving to eternity. You're giving to what matters. So give to God first. Give to God by giving to others. Give to God by giving to and through the church. And I don't apologize for that because I believe that we have, we're part of the greatest mission on earth. I believe the church is doing the greatest good in the world around us because the good we do doesn't just matter for this moment. It doesn't just matter for a generation. The good we do, it lasts forever. So when you give, give to eternity. Give to God knowing that your giving, your investment matter forever. He is no fool. Jim Elliott, a man who later died for his faith in Jesus Christ as a martyr as he went on the mission field, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And then I love one of my all-time favorite quotes. Uh, this chaplain who works in the foster care system, he, he wrote and said this, I want to stand before God, sweaty and tired and broke, because I invested my life and resources in the kingdom of God and for the benefit of others. And that's my desire for me and my my family, for my kids. My attitude is this. I don't want to accumulate stuff on earth. I want to accumulate riches in eternity. I, I don't want to just, uh, I don't want to achieve things at the cost of other people's lives. I want my life to be about people's lives because that's the way of Jesus. And so my challenge to you, my, I, I'm, it's almost like I'm imploring you. Guys, if I could, I would shake you shake you out of the American mindset that is, I've got to achieve to get more. No, no. I want you to achieve so you can give more. I want you to work hard, not so that you can look at the end of your life and look back and be like, man, look at all I've accomplished and earned and achieved. No, so you can look back and go, look what God has done through me and look at the great impact God has been able to have through my life. That's putting the ladder on the right wall. So here it is. Am I willing to hold nothing back from God? Not holding back my life and not holding back my livelihood. And so now I challenge you. Where are you at right now? What, what, what has tied you up? What are you holding back that if God would get you to free that area up of your life, it would change everything about your story? It could make all the difference in your future. Some of you, you're holding on to a selfish ambition. You're holding on to a dream that's about you. You're holding on to a job desire that is more about you becoming what you want to become. And in this moment, God wants to go and he wants to begin to cut away those things that are not of him. I get it. This is costly. This is the expensive way of following God, the right way. And so right now, I want to challenge you. Some of you right now, your first step is that moment when you look at your life like, life like Dr. Alfred and you got to say, I've gotten it all wrong. I've been living a life pursuing sin and I'm willing to surrender my life, receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and begin new. Others of you, you, you believe in Jesus, but you've been living for yourself. And this is your moment when you're willing to say, yes, God, I... I offer and I surrender all. I'm holding nothing back. So regardless of one of those two places where you're at, would you take a moment right now and just pause? Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland.
We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.